called to the work of restoration. And so have you. It's not meant to be done alone. We need each other to be all in and committed to the task. Because in the end, we will all be stronger and more secure. The time has come for this wall to be restored. It's time to rebuild the wall of faith. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Are you ready for God's word? Say amen. amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. And even as you're turning, allow me to pray for us this morning. Father, we pray. We pray for your Holy Spirit's presence. Father, we pray acknowledging uh, your presence, for he is, you, your spirit is already here among us. Father, you promise uh, to teach us your word. You promise, Lord God, to transform us by your word. And so by your spirit's power, God, would you do that today? Would you teach? Or would you transform? How would you do the work that you've promised to do? Oh God, please strengthen your church by strengthening individual souls today. God, we want to be men and women that persevere. Help us. Give us the strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of Mission Church said, amen. Can you believe it? Time marches on. We are in week six in this series called Restored. It's called Restored because we are subtitle, seeking to rebuild and restore, rebuild the walls of faith. For those of you who are new, maybe perhaps you're a guest this morning, many new faces that I don't recognize, welcome to each and every one of you. Here is the goal of the series. We are after this. We're asking the Lord to restore the walls of faith in our lives so that we can do the work of building walls of faith in our lifetime. Lord, please, restore the walls of faith in me. It's been a long season. 2020's been the longest decade of my life. Lord God, please. These last two weeks have been the longest quarter of the year. And on and on and on it goes, God, please do your work in me so that I can continue to persevere and do that which you've called me to do because, God, I can't. But I know that you can. We're striving after this goal. We're pursuing this goal by uh, learning and studying the book of Nehemiah, learning from a man uh, named Nehemiah who was called to build a literal wall. He's a man who persevered, who persevered to fulfill the call of God. Persevere. Uh, the word today is perseverance. Say perseverance. Perseverance. I don't know if it's a word that we use in regular conversation all that much um, currently, but here it is. Remaining steadfast, to persevere. The actual dictionary definition is this. A steady persistence and a course of action Despite difficulty, despite opposition, despite discouragement or delay, it's the ability to stay the course. And so you know what's coming next. Come on, are you persevering? Do you, friend, do you have perseverance? It's an interesting question, actually. All these questions which seem simple on the outset, when you really stop to think about them, think about it. Do you have perseverance? Do you possess it? 
Perseverance is a fascinating thing because either you have it or you don't. There is no uh, uh, perseverance meter. This is not a meter thing. This is not, hey, uh, show me how well are you persevering today? Look, you're either persevering or you're not. I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, there's a light on your dashboard. Perhaps some of you have seen it every once in a while. You see, this is not a meter thing. This is a dashboard light thing. And if you, you, just a little tip for today, if your battery light comes on, guess what it means? It's broke. (laughs) If your battery light comes on, it's not like, hey, by the way, your battery might be failing. It might be draining. In a little bit, you may want to look into this. Literally, it means there is no charge coming to your battery. It's broke. You see, in the same way, when we go to measure perseverance, we are either persevering or we're not. We're either making our way forward or we are moving backwards. There is no middle ground. It's a virtue that cannot be measured by past actions. Do you have perseverance? Well, I can tell you yesterday, I did a really fantastic job of not Yesterday, I was really able to hold it together. I know, but I asked you, do you have, present tense, perseverance? When that dashboard light comes on and the battery is dead and it's not being charged any longer, it doesn't matter that it worked yesterday. You want to start the car today. Perseverance. To have perseverance means that you are persevering now. To have perseverance, to maintain perseverance, means that you will finish well. Do you have perseverance? Are you persevering? All right, now we can vote. Now we can actually vote. How many of you would say that Nehemiah is a man who has persevered? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Come on. Nehemiah is a man who has indeed persevered. Uh, Let me just catch some of you up. Here's what we know about Nehemiah. Uh, He was a man who was the cupbearer to the king in Susa. Pretty cushy job. You guys have heard my spiel about this. Uh, Basically, if you're the cupbearer to the king, you got one job. Taste the king's food. Don't die. Smile while you're eating it. And that's not super hard when you're eating good food. Amen? Amen. So you got one job. Don't die pretty cushy. But he finds out that, well, that the Jerusalem, uh, the, the land of his heritage and where his namesake is from is, is laying in a shambles and the wall is down and, and the temple and the people were not worshiping the Lord in the way that they should. But the temple's been reconstructed, but still the people haven't changed. And now the worship of God is at risk. And Nehemiah says, I can go. I can do this. And he waits for the opportune moment to ask the king to send And so he travels 900 miles. He plans wisely. He adjusts his plan as necessary. He stood before the people and cast his vision. He rallied the troops, if you will. He had to thwart off direct attacks from the enemies from afar. And just last week, we learned how he also shepherded the people through conflict from within. But now today, the question that we have is this. Will Nehemiah persevere? Will Nehemiah finish the job? Say yes. Yes, come on. We've read the Bible. We know that Nehemiah is going to persevere. We know the wall is going to be built. We know that Nehemiah is a hero. But listen, that's not going to happen without another blast of challenge. 
And so as New Testament believers, we have the benefit of, of knowing the end and, and seeing how it works out. But it's this in-between that the Lord gives us the privilege to study and say, listen, I too know that God's going to prevail. I too know that he's going to be victorious in the end. But man, there is some significant study that has to happen on the in-between. We have so much to learn between here and victory. How do we persevere? Nehemiah is going to have to persevere. He's coming up against the greatest challenges that he will face. And it's no, it's no mistake that he's going to see the greatest challenges just before the end. It's a major project ahead of him. A major building project is coming to completion. By the way, have you ever, um, have you ever um, taken on a home project just to find out that it was a lot more than you bargained for? Anyone? Am I the only one? No, I, I, see the, I, see the, I see the hands. Most of the hands are being raised like this, by the way. <laughs> but I will say this, not to, be, not to read anything into this, I just see a lot of ladies smiling and a lot of men's heads down. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. But that, but that simple trip to the hardware store, that simple trip to the hardware store is supposed to be one afternoon on a Friday, right? I got home from work, just going to run to the store real quick. I'm going to get this done early on Saturday morning. Somehow that turns into a full-blown residency at Home Depot over the weekend. They're like calling you by name by Sunday afternoon. Yes, we've all been there. How about this? Have you ever worked really hard just to have your job sabotaged? I got four boys at home. I've had more than one job sabotaged. Some of you, um, you may remember me saying that I, was, I had the privilege of pouring concrete in my uh, younger days. Yes, I've, there were younger days that I've had. Younger days. And uh, numbers of times, you finish the concrete, the job is done, you lay the plastic over, and you go home just to come back the next day to find out that some wild animal, some rabid dog who doesn't know better, ran through the job. Perseverance. You see, today, Nehemiah is going to find that his enemies, like wild dogs, just won't relent and just won't let his work alone. And worse than coming and finding footprints in the cement, what he's actually coming to see is people who are literally coming after not just his work, but him. Friends, note this. Any work that is worthy of the call of God is going to be worthy of Satan's opposition. Any work that is worthy of the call of God is going to also be worthy of Satan's opposition. Answering the call of God, living on mission, building walls of faith will always be met by opposition. But listen, hear me. Every opposition is an opportunity. Every, oppor every opposition is an opportunity. Stop looking at challenges as if they're there for your failing. Hear me. The Bible says these challenges are here for your proving. And you're going to come up against situations where you can't. And that is the point. You cannot, but God can. And so here we see these opportunities and we're reminded for the one who perseveres. Listen, blessed is the man and the woman who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, 
which God has promised to those who love him. We don't persevere for the crown. But the crown awaits the one who perseveres. And so, victory is ours. But we're living in the in-between. Are you ready to learn how to persevere today? If you are, say, come on, let's go. Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's take a look at the text. Fulfilling the work of God requires perseverance. Three ways that Nehemiah persevered and so ought we. Come on now, look at the text. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies stop there, uh, these guys have now gone from menaces to enemies. Their true colors are about to show themselves. I wonder how I feel about these guys. I wonder how I feel about these guys. They don't seem to be for us. They kind of seem to be hanging out in the winds. They seem to be kind of, kind of uh, leading the noblemen away from us. So what, what, what's up with these guys? Guess what? When they and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no more breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. By the way, those parentheses are super important. You see, what we have here is a status report. What we have here is kind of a, kind of a, a, kind of a, a job meeting where we come in, hey, what's the status? How's the work? How's it going? What, we, what we're seeing is that the work is moving along rather well. Smashingly, as a matter of fact, the walls are up and there are no breaches in the wall. Where I come from, it sounds like the word breaches. That is not, it's breaches. There are no holes left in the wall. They're just about done. But there's one big task left to do. Did you see it? What's the task? Come on, the parentheses are there. We have not yet set the gates. We have not yet set the doors. You know, on a scale, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you're building a wall and you're super proud of like not having any gaps in the wall, how important then are the doors, right? On a, scale, on a scale of 1 to 10, look, you can build the best wall in all of the world, but if you don't have doors, you're not doing so hot. The job's not done, but the job is this close. The doors are important. Why? The whole goal of the job is to bring security to the land. The whole point of the job is to set it up so that the people can be secure and the worship of our God can happen and the people can move on and the city can be repopulated. But without the doors, without the job, without persevering, without getting the job done, nothing that's been done to this point is going to matter in the end. Think about it. The point that Nehemiah is making here is that the job is moving along. Come on, construction workers, like this is door hanging day. Come on, think about it. Door hanging day. Any construction workers in the room? Like you got foundation laying day. You got footer pouring day. You got wall block building day. You got framing day. You've got roofing day. You've got drywall day. Well, first would be electrical day. I'm sure that could, that's an awkward electrical job if you put the drywall in first. <laughs> Plumbing day, electric day, drywall day. Come on, think with me. This is door hanging day. We are so close to getting the job done. 
And when we hear this tremendous status report of we're almost done, what his enemies are hearing is what? This is our last chance. Listen, as, as you get excited about finishing the job that the Lord's called you to, as you get excited about serving the Lord, as you get excited about seeing the finish line drawing near, don't miss that your adversary is also saying this, last shot, last shot, last shot, last shot. It's not about how you start. It's about how we finish. Where we see the job almost done, our adversaries see this is our last shot. Come on, strike now. Nehemiah faced his greatest opposition with the finish line in view. Nehemiah faced his greatest opposition with the finish line in view. And friends, I believe the same will be true for us. Make no mistake, the same will be true for us. When serving Christ, we ought to expect opposition just before a victory. You ought to expect your back against the wall just before a breakthrough. That's the point. You've come so far. You've worked so hard. Why is it so hard in this moment? Could it be because victory is just around the bend? Could it be that you're just about to break through? You ought to feel like giving up right before the finish line because it means you've run hard. You want to work out before the buzzer. You want to feel like you want to fall over before the buzzer sounds because that means you gave it all. You're going to want to give up right before the end. Don't. Just before the bell rings, you're going to wonder, do I have one more punch? You don't, but God does. That's the point. The key is to trust the Lord and persevere. Listen, listen, I believe this. The devil just may be happy to let you get started. It's the finishing well part that he cares about preventing. Come on, think about it. How many of us have made commitments to the Lord just to abandon them? How many of us said, this is the time, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get up tomorrow, I'm going to talk to the Lord, I'm going to pray, I get three days in and then my, my alarm is missed. Come on, I know where to meet God, it's in his word, I'm going to be in his word now, I'm going to be in his word now. And, I say, and you say to the Lord one more time, this is what I'm going to do, and distractions come. We've all gotten started and lost passion for the job. We've all set out on a plan just to be distracted. We've all started making progress just to decline because it's gotten too hard. We've all been there. We've allowed other people to distract us. And we've allowed the own temptations in our heart to discourage us to the point of giving up. Friends, what I want you to catch is this. You can win a thousand battles. You can win a thousand battles. But what will it mean if you surrender in the end? You can win a thousand battles. But what will it mean if you surrender in the end? Listen, without the help of Jesus, we won't make it. Without the help of Jesus, we all have a tipping point. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we all will throw in the towel eventually. And that's why, that's why we've got to press in in the way that Nehemiah presses in. 
Here comes the press. Point one, Nehemiah is able to persevere. Distraction is coming. He's going to be able to persevere because the work that he's been called to is great. He's going to be able to persevere because the work that he's been called to is great. Status report. We're just about done. Enemies see last chance, verse 2. And Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, Come on, Nehemiah, come let us meet together. At Hecatherium, in the plain of Ono, in the plain of Ono. By the way, Myerstown, there is a town called Ono, northwest of you, just shy of the distance of how far Ono would have been from Jerusalem. How crazy is that? Come on, meet me in the plain of Ono. Come on, pastor joke. Nehemiah's like, oh no. (laughs) Meet me in the plain of Ono. Realizing that direct military assault won't work, which they tried back in chapter 3, now Sambalot and Geshem go a more subtle route of trying to distract Nehemiah. They say, come on, come on. Come on, see me in Ono. Let's have a peace treaty. Let's bury the hatchet together. But you're going to have to travel 25 miles to meet us. And Nehemiah's like, okay. I was born at night, guys, but it wasn't last night. I kind of got a sense of what you're trying to do here. I'll take a look. Nehemiah's got their number, verse 3. And I sent a message, and I sent them messengers. First, the back half of verse 2. Come, let us meet together. The plain of Ono. But watch, watch. But they intended to do me harm. I love what Nehemiah does. He's got their number. Watch. So what does Nehemiah do? Oh, you want to meet with me? I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah sends his workers and says, look, I'm busy. You got something important to tell me? That's great, but I've got great work to do. He knew that the work that God had called him to was God's work itself. He knew that he was was helping people, he was changing lives, and he was glorifying God. Can you say the same about the work that you've been called to? Can you look at your life and see, right here, this is where it's at. I know that the Lord has called me to this. I'm seeing people's lives affected. I'm seeing things happen. I know this is God's work. He is being glorified. I have great work to do, and I cannot be distracted. Friends, do you realize that the Lord has called you to a great work? Until you come to realize how great the work is that the Lord has called you to, you will always be susceptible to distraction. There will always be things, there will always be people who are coming in trying to distract you. Do you understand? Jesus said this to you, followers. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. Come on, go, baptize them. Teach them to observe all that Jesus Christ commanded. Listen, and then this, I will be with you always. even to the end of the age. 
Friend, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador of the King. You have a mission. You have a purpose. Come on, say this. The work is great. Say the work is great. great. Now say it like someone's trying to take you from us. Say the work is great. There will always be people inviting you away. And what are you going to tell them? Tell them the work is great. Activities vying for your attention. When it comes up, when things are to vie for your attention, you've got to remind yourself, Lord, help me. The work is too great. When temptations come in, you've got to remind yourself, the work is too great. When sin crouches at your door, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. That starts by being a disciple ourselves. That starts by practicing that the Lord is with us always. Go ye therefore into all the world starts with discipling, being a disciple ourselves, but then it, then it extends to what? being a disciple and discipling in our homes. Come on, Lord. I want to look at this. I want to have that conversation. I want to gaze a little too long. God, help me. The work is too great. God, I want to make a little more. I want to bend a little corner. And I I know if I were to do this or to say that for my boss, the work is too great. When you realize that discipleship extends, yes, to the ends of the earth, but it involves us being disciples of Jesus. It involves us discipling one another as spouses. It involves us discipling our children. It involves us discipling those who are around us. Friends, you have to realize that this call is not to a far-off land exclusively. It involves every one of you right where you are, right now in this moment, you saying, the first person I need to disciple is me. The work is too great. But distractions will always persist. Notice, notice how they just wouldn't let Nehemiah alone. Four times. Send a messenger back. I cannot come down. I got work to do. It's just too great. I can't be distracted. The work is too great. Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. Love this. Just because they ask again doesn't mean you have to come up with a new excuse. Just because they won't leave you alone doesn't mean you have to keep like, making up new things. I told you last time, I got work to do. I told you last time, God's called me to this. You actually have more integrity when your answer stays the same. Note this as well. Nehemiah found great strength. Nehemiah found great strength. How? By staying engaged in the work. Nehemiah found great strength by staying engaged in the work. When you allow yourself to drift, when you allow yourself to nod off, when you allow yourself to go and dabble in other things, stay close to the work. Why? Because the work is the Lord's. When you're engaged in the work of the Lord, where the work of the Lord is, is the presence of God. And where the presence of God is, there will be purpose in your work. Which leads us to the second point. 
Nehemiah shows us that we can persevere not only through distraction, but now here it comes, here it comes, disparagement. Discouragement doesn't work, so they got to go another level. But he's going to be able to persevere through because it's not his work that he's defending, it's God's. Take a look at the text. Look at verse 5. Now look, four times, four times in this way, they, I answered them and said, look, I'm not, I'm not coming down. You can be at oh no, but I won't be there oh no. Number five, in the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time now. Now they're getting impatient, here it comes. He sent his servant to me with an open letter, an open letter in his hand. All right, here it comes, Operation Sabotage. Operation Drag Name Through the Mud. Operation Smear Campaign. Open letter means, come on, read my letter. Anyone and everyone. Well, it is written, Nehemiah, and it's been reported. Sorry to tell you, Nehemiah, there's a rumor going on around about you. We've just learned about this rumor that we've created. Yes, it's true, Nehemiah. We've just learned about this rumor that we've created. And here's what it says. Now, it's reported. Can't believe they're saying this, Nehemiah, but here it is. It's reported among the nations and Geshem. And if Geshem's saying it, mm-mm. He also says it too. It's hard to say, Nehemiah, but you and the Jews, you're intending to rebel. That 900-mile trip and all those letters you got from the king and all that you walked away from, we know, we know they're saying, we, we want to believe you, but you know what they're saying. You had your eyes on something else. You and the Jews, you intend to rebel. And that is why now, that is why you're building the wall, Nehemiah. This is why you've walked away from the cushy job. This is why you traveled so far that according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You're in it for you, Nehemiah. That's what they're saying. And we're trying to help you here. But listen, they're saying you've set aside and you've set up prophets that are going to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. They've got your back. You've got it all. You have, you have padded the deck, Nehemiah. That's what they're saying. But here's the problem, Nehemiah. We're here to help. There's a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So come. Come and let us counsel together. What's the rumor? You're a fraud. What's the rumor? Guys, you're not going, when I saw this in the text, I just couldn't even believe it. Like, what are they, what are they accusing Nehemiah of? They're accusing him of running a conspiracy. Literally, by definition, a conspiracy is a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful for their own benefit. They're accusing Nehemiah of running a conspiracy. Friends, there is nothing new under the sun. And I'm not weighing into current conspiracies. I'm just saying they're accusing Nehemiah. And it's not true. And it's not true. So you know what that makes Nehemiah? The victim of a conspiracy theory. 
And the manipulation here is palpable. Because, of course, in said theories, there's always the looking out for. Look, we're just trying to help. We're just trying to act. We're just, Nehemiah, heads up. We're just trying to give you a heads up. We've heard this rumor. We've heard it stated. And we just want to pass on to you what we've made up and heard. And eventually, you know the king's going to hear what we made up and heard. And when he does, Nehemiah, come on down. Let's reason together. Get off the wall. No, 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 no. You don't have to worry about those gates right now. This is a much bigger issue. Have you ever had someone lie to you? That's a dumb question. You know how it feels when somebody lies to you? Like when somebody lies right to your face. Like that's really bad. But you know what's worse than somebody lying to you? It's lying about you to your face. Like that takes a whole lot of gall, does it not? But you know what? It doesn't matter. If you can lie loud enough to your face for everybody else to hear, that's the point. And so what his adversaries are doing is they know what they're saying is not true, but they're saying it loud enough for the people to hear. You know what the best part is about living right with God? You don't have to give a rip what people say. You know what the best part about walking in good relationship with the Lord is? You don't have to live in fear. You can let people rattle on and babble about and say whatever they want to say about you because more than what we care about what other people think, we care about what God thinks. At the end of the day, you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to know the truth. Your vocation may come under scrutiny. Your name may be dragged through the mud. But at the end of the day, you know your heart and that's what matters most. That's the only way you're going to be able to endure to the end because if you get caught up in the lies and the smear and all the other things that come upon the name of those who call themselves Christians, friends, we will be battling forever and be distracted from the actual mission that we're called to do. And Nehemiah says, I got a wall to build, I got gates to hang, and I don't have time for your lies. We're here to make disciples. Not get drug into other people's fights. And so, the safest place to be is walking in right relationship with the Lord. But I'm telling you, when you don't, when you're not in right relationship with the Lord, we do have to live in constant fear. We do have to worry about what other people say. The anxiousness, the fear, the guilt, it can become crippling. Numbers 32, 23, behold, your sins will find you out. But Nehemiah knows this, that the Lord protects the righteous. Nehemiah knows this, the Lord protects the righteous. The salvation of the righteous, Psalm 37, 39, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in a time of trouble. The salvation of the Lord of the righteous is from the Lord. He will protect. He will prevail. And Nehemiah just simply looks at these guys in verse 8. I absolutely love this. He's like, y'all are just crazy. Then I said to them, saying, no such things as you have said I have done. That's as much defense as Nehemiah is going to give himself. Why? Why? Because you're inventing these things out of your mind. No such things as these. 
have I done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. You're inventing stuff now. Friends, we have to beware. We have to continually beware of rumors and unsubstantiated reports. We have to chain ourselves to truth, to the word of God, to what God promises is, will happen in the end. But we're in the great in-between. Will we persevere? Chaining ourselves, being aware of rumors and substantiated reports. People who don't like reality are susceptible to making up their own. And that's what's happening here. In the text. Note why they're doing it. Verse 9. For, why are they doing this? For they all wanted to frighten us. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. The goal of all lies is fear. The goal of lies is manipulation. The goal of lies, ultimately, by the one who lies, is to gain control. The goal of lies, indeed, even as Nehemiah speaks of it here, is fear itself. Think about the first lie ever told in Genesis. Think about it. What was Eve? Eve was fearful. FOMO. Fear of missing out. God had the knowledge. You don't. If you don't eat of this apple, fear of missing out, you're not going to know things. You're not going to be able to accomplish things. And so, fear. Friends, we have to beware of fear-mongering. That's what's happening in the text. We must chain ourselves to fact, to faith, to mission, to sovereignty of God above all things. That in the end, Christ prevails. In the end, his kingdom comes. And in the in-between, he sustains his church for the light shines the brightest in the darkness. And so we prepare ourselves to persevere. What's Nehemiah do? He perseveres. What I love here is that the work could have been completely thwarted, completely abandoned had Nehemiah took the bait. Had he got caught up in their drama, the whole thing could have gone undone. The enemies could have stormed the empty gates that weren't yet hung. He refused to get caught up in the drama. Think about how much less anxiety and worry we would have if we shut out the lies and the drama of this world. Easier said than done, I know. But the point still sits right here in the text. What I want you to notice is neither he nor his people launch a counter campaign. Rather, look at what they do. Nehemiah prays. They wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, but now, oh God, would you please just, God, strengthen our hands. Let us get this job done. Help us to stay on mission and finish well to the end. Let us not be caught up on what they're saying about us and how they're trying to distract us from your calling in our lives. Oh God, please, strengthen our hands. Nehemiah meant what he said in chapter 4, verse 20, when he said, my God fights for us. 
He meant what he said, and now he's living it out because it's his name that's on the line. It's his reputation that's being smeared. He understands that ultimately if he goes down, the project fails, God's glory is at stake. And so he says, God, this is not about me and my reputation. It's about your glory. Fight. Perseverance is possible here because they know this is the Lord's work. And if the Lord started it, he's going to finish it. If the Lord calls you, he's going to empower you. Listen, there's no safer place than to be in the center of God's will. But to be at the center of God's will is to have your hand to the plow of God's work. And so if we can stay focused on mission, church, we will endure in these days. If we stay focused on mission, we stay focused on the name of Christ above all, we will endure no matter what comes. Which leads us to the third and final point. Nehemiah is going to show us, he has showed us that distraction, we can persevere through distraction when we realize how great the work is ahead of us. We can persevere even through disparagement, even of our own names, realizing it's not our name, it's God's that matters, and it's his work. Now, finally, we can persevere through deception because we know that the work is good. Look at the text now. All right, they've tried, they've tried distraction, they've tried disparagement, but now, but now, but now, if legal punches don't work, we got to swing below the belt, and here it comes. This is a low blow. And now it says, verse 10, I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahetabel, who was confined to his home. Why was he confined? The text does not tell us. It may have something to do with the fact that he claims to be a prophet. Let's keep reading. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Let us come together, Nehemiah, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you now. Come on, Nehemiah. They are coming to kill you by night. Do you see what they've done? Nehemiah has already substantiated. He's not meeting with anyone he doesn't trust. He's already substantiated. He's not walking away from the work for just anybody. So what have they done? They've recruited a friend. They've come in and they've recruited somebody that Nehemiah trusts. And so he has that person who trusts him. Now he's saying, come on, Nehemiah, I'm here to help you. They try to manipulate Nehemiah from afar, saying, hey, come meet with us. They tried to smear a campaign, try to help you here. But now when that didn't work, we got to find somebody close. we got to find somebody he trusts. Shemaiah, claiming to speak prophetically, says, come, I'm just here to help you, Nehemiah. Come with me. Just come into the temple. He's speaking prophetically. Could he have been a priest? May he have been allowed in the temple? Come on, just come with me. But Nehemiah saw through his plan. How did Nehemiah see through his plan? How did Nehemiah know that his friend wasn't telling the truth. How do you know if you're being schnookered? How do you know 
if that person that you've been relying on isn't just leading you somewhere. Nehemiah knew two things. He was aware of the call of God and he knew well the commands of God. He knew the call of God and he knew well the commands of God. Listen, relationship or not, if someone is calling you to abandon the work of God, if someone is asking you to disobey God's word, they are not your friend, much less a prophet. You can discern the will of God. You can discern authenticity. You can discern manipulation by first knowing the truth. You can't discern error and you can't discern lie if you haven't grounded yourself in the word of God. And so we know the end. We know what happens next. We don't need someone to convince us that we need to do this or do that to make it all work out in the end. We know how it ends. The truth is right here. Nehemiah knew that he wasn't allowed in that temple. He didn't have to wonder what side his friend was on because his friend wasn't on the Lord's side and that was all that mattered. Even if you're trying to help me, it doesn't matter because this is pragmatic in the end. I I might get killed by my enemies, but I could die by disobeying the Lord just as well. So if I'm going to go down, let me go down obeying the Lord. If they want to take me out, let them pull me off this wall. The job's not done. But I said to them, should such a man as I run away? Love this. The juxtaposition, right? But should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? Isn't that where we live? We should live right in the in-between of that. I am too righteous to run away, and I am too sinful to think that I can stand in the place of God. That's right where we should live. I am too righteous to run away. I'm too righteous to turn tail because of Jesus' work in me. But yet I am way too sinful to think that I can do the work of God. I am way too weak and I am way too frail to think that I could do something other than what God has asked me to do. And so Nehemiah, he just knew who he was before God. He knew what the Lord had asked him to do. And so in verse 12, this hard reality is spoken, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid, fear again, and act in this way and sin so that ultimately they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me, in order for the work to fail, in order for God's people to be left unprotected, in order for the name of the Lord to be drugged through the mud and for his worship to come under scrutiny. But Nehemiah, what does he do? He perseveres. Three strikes, three strikes, but yet he still stands. 
Three attempts to take him out, but still he endures. Why? Because the work is too great. He endures. He perseveres. Why? Because he knows the work is ultimately God's. And here we know that the work is good. He says this, remember Remember God, remember Tobiah, remember Sambalat. Oh my God, according to these things that they did. God, fight for me. Fight for yourself. You take care of it, God. God, just remember these things that they did. And also the prophetess, Nodiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. In the end, what does Nehemiah do? He drops to his knees again and he prays. He prays. He prays. He prays. Lord, you deal with your enemies. They're your enemies. I'm just your laborer here. It's so easy to take this personal. It's so easy to think it's about us. It's so easy to think that it's us and me that they're after. Lord, it's you. You take care of it. This is how we can cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. Once again here we see Nehemiah acting as a messianic figure. We see him giving us a picture of the work that Jesus has done for us. For there was one who was tempted in every way but was found without sin. There was one who bled and wept in a garden, asking if it would be your will, Lord God, let this pass. But yet he endured, but yet he persevered. Why? Because he knew the work that the Lord had had before him. The mission laid before him was for the salvation of you and me. It was for the security of your souls. And yes, here, Nehemiah stands as an example of one who persevered to the end for the security of God's people. And Jesus Christ did that for you. You cannot persevere without the strength of the Lord. You will try and you'll fail. You will try, you will fail. You will try and we will fail again. Again, and so here we come. The wall is in shambles. And our prayer has simply been this. Lord, week by week, day by day, would you just put on another block? Would you just remind me that it's worth it? Would you just tell me once again, Lord God, how you gave me my spouse? And that you, entire, you desire to do a work there, God. Lord, would you re- remind me that my children are a treasure from you? And you long for me to disciple them in the legacy of the Lord. God, would you remind me that my, my church family is indeed this holy living temple that you are building. God, don't let me get distracted from the work that you're doing around me. God, would you remind me that even unto me you've said, go ye therefore into all the world. God, help me even this day to think as a person, as a person who's living on mission for you. Jesus died for you and he's given you a purpose. Will we persevere? Philippians chapter two says this, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed. And so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. For it is God, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his 
good pleasure. We can work because God is at work in us. We can persevere because we have a relationship with the Lord, do you? Father, we come to you now. Having journeyed through a text of Scripture that challenges our hearts and our souls. Father, as a child of yours, we long to serve you. We long to endure. We long to persevere. We long to be faithful. But God, there are so many distractions swirling around us. Father, there is deception and deceit swirling around us. It is incredibly difficult for us, Lord God, to discern fact from fiction in these days. We're just so grateful that we can hold your truth in our hands. We're so grateful, Lord God, that you gave us your word. God, help anchor us. Give us faith these days. Let us cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. But Father God, you didn't only give us your written word, you gave us your, your living word, Jesus Christ himself. Thank you, God, for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord God, that he went to the grave, that he rose three days later, that he sits at your right hand, that he will be, and he is the judge of the living and the dead. Father, thank you that he offers us the free gift of salvation today. And Father, we would pray that there's any in this room who've yet to begin a relationship with you, that they would cry out to you. For your word says, if they who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Christ Jesus rose from the dead. Salvation is granted to us. God, would you work in our hearts today to remind us of that truth? But for those who have yet to accept you as Savior, I pray that they would cry out to you right now, asking you to save their soul. Friend, right now, right where you are, you can cry out and ask Jesus to save your soul. Tell them you're a sinner. Tell them that you know that you need Jesus to be your Savior. Tell them that you want to live your life for him. Tell them now. And then come, learn what it means to build this wall of faith in your life. And so God, we ask again, do this work in this place. Father, you fought for us. You always have. You always will until the day of victory comes in its fullness. Lord God, we labor alongside with you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.